As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Yo. Technology. What is it all about? One in six queries posed to Google have never been asked before in the history of mankind. Welcome to another edition of Danny in the Valley. We have a good one for you this week. As all of you uh, loyal listeners out there know, what we usually do is have on either a founder or an entrepreneur, an investor. Maybe occasionally we do these the more produced things like we did last week. But this week I wanted to do something a bit different. I sat down with Scott Galloway, who's a professor at NYU's Stern School of Business and an entrepreneur himself who has uh, founded several companies. But he has also just written a book called The Four, which is about the big four internet companies, Amazon, Apple, Google, and Facebook. And it really looks at how they have carved up the world and why we shall be very afraid. And I was excited to get some time with Professor Galloway because one, he is just a font of knowledge and astounding statistics about these companies. I issue you a challenge to listen to this podcast and not come out of it scared or at least deeply concerned about the sheer power and influence that these companies have amassed. And then the other reason I thought it was worth going a little bit off-piste is that I hear all the time from startups and investors about how hard it is to build something in 2017, and not just get absolutely crushed if you happen to come in the path of one of these big boys. And Galloway's been studying these guys for a long time, so he has some very strong views that you may just find useful, but you will definitely find entertaining. Without further ado, I give you Professor Scott Galloway. Enjoy. You're on the global book tour. I am, yes, global, as in, <laughs> as in a couple city tour. But you're on. The, it's on the New York Times, right? The New York Times bestseller already. I, I, so I saw online. Yeah, which is a, a hugely disparaging comment on their methodology. But <laughs> yeah, it's, my publisher and my agent are happy, which I think I've seen a grand total of once. I feel very fortunate. The title of the book is The Four, which, to my mind, immediately makes me think of the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Yeah. We know these companies are incredibly successful. We love their products, but I don't think people really have a sense for the proportion of their influence and power. I meant the book to be sort of an entertaining textbook. My goal as a professor is to help my kids develop currency in the marketplace so they can create economic security for them and their families. And I think to understand these four companies gives you a competitive edge in the marketplace. So I wanted to write something around what I why I felt these companies were so successful. I think they each tap into a specific instinct. And then I wanted to raise some issues around the, what I would call the gross idolatry of youth and money. I think we no longer worship at the altar of kindness and character, but at the altar of innovation and shareholder value. 
I think a, a discussion and holding these companies to the same standards and scrutiny that the rest of business is held to is a conversation. And, you know, I got lucky. We seem to be having that conversation just as the book came out. It's interesting because it does feel like the worm has turned a bit with these companies because they kind of clothe themselves in this idea that they are progressive, yep. pure, we just want to make the world a better place. But they are corporations. They are trying yep. to increase their stock price, and they're very good at it. You've got my rap. You say it better than I do. 12 months ago, the narrative was which CEO is more Jesus-like or going to run for president. To your point, I think they purposefully wrapped themselves in a neon blue, pink, or rainbow blanket because progressives are seen as nice but weak. And it's a great foil or it's a great illusionist trick for a company that acts more like Darth Vader or Ayn Rand during the day. Whereas with Microsoft, fairly or not, the leadership there was seen as conservative and smart but mean, and regulators moved in with the public support. But no one wants to move in on Tim Cook. He's literally impossible not to like. Everybody is inspired rightfully by Sheryl Sandberg. If Sheryl Sandberg was, for example, vehemently pro-life or in favor of gun rights, I don't think Facebook would be flying her around the world to talk to female executives about those issues. These companies literally wrap themselves in sheep's clothing. I'm not doubting their principles. So are they wolves? Well, they are what they're supposed to be, and that is they're for-profit companies in a capitalist society that have achieved, in some cases, a half a trillion dollars in market capitalization. Their primary role and the reason they attract their core asset people is that these people genuinely want to be inspired, do something enjoy, but first and foremost, they want to create economic security for them and their families. And the way they do that is mostly through equity and options grants. So if you're a company with a $500 billion market capitalization, your job as a CEO at the end of the day is to get the stock price up. And in order to do that, you're going to leverage all the tools within your quiver, which include your dominance, your power, your ability to intimidate, your ability to perform infanticide and kill other companies before they become a threat, your ability to engage the smartest and most skilled tax attorneys to minimize your tax liability. So I don't think they're doing anything wrong. I think the problem is the man in the mirror. I think we need to elect officials who aren't as fascinated and aren't as fanatical about how cool these companies are. And again, just hold them to the same scrutiny we hold the rest of business. I'd like to get to what we can do, but I think it's It'd be interesting to just go kind of one by one. Yep. So it's Amazon, Apple, Google, Facebook. Yep. Amazon, to me, seems the one we should be kind of most concerned about. From an, a traditional antitrust perspective, Amazon is actually the least vulnerable from what I'll call traditional antitrust intervention because of all the areas they play in, the only one they're even above 10 or 20% share is cloud, and they're at 30%. Relative to Google, who has a 90% share in search, they actually appear less threatening by traditional antitrust concerns. However, there are some disturbing things about Amazon. One, we have a company that's grown to half a trillion dollars in value and has paid $1.4 billion in corporate income tax since the Great Recession. $1.4 billion total? $1.4 billion in corporate income tax because Amazon runs a break-even. That's their, that's that's their choice, strategy. That's their strategy, isn't it? Yeah. That's their strategy. And they're not doing anything wrong or illegal. But just in contrast, Walmart has paid $64 billion in corporate income tax since 2008. And this is while Amazon has added the value of Walmart to its market capitalization in the last two years. So the question is, if a company can get to half a trillion dollars in value and technically be the most successful company in the world, which a lot of people would argue it is, and pay almost no corporate income tax, 
then how do we pay for our firefighters, our social workers, and our roads? The answer is pretty simple. That means the less successful companies have to pay more. Any company, if they wanted to, could decide to reinvest 100 cents on the dollar back in the customer experience and not pay taxes either. But the majority of companies have not been able to say to the markets, we're going to run at break even, and you're going to bid up our stock price. So Amazon is fairly and legally taking advantage of this new dynamic in the marketplace that may be a strange thing that we haven't dealt with before and may erode our tax base. Amazon can now take the value of another company, consumer company, down with what I call Jedi mind tricks. And that is they can just look at it and begin issuing press releases and take 10, 20, 30 percent off its market cap. Between the time that Amazon announced the acquisition of Whole Foods and closed the acquisition, Kroger, the largest pure play grocer in America, lost a third of its value. And this is because Amazon had announced they were acquiring a grocer one-eleventh the size of Kroger. So we're in a situation right now where I believe any consumer company in America and possibly in Europe could be take, could lose a third of its value just with Amazon issuing press releases. That's how dominant they've become. So is market share the right indicator of when a company becomes too powerful? They can go into any category with so much capital because they have access to almost infinitely cheap capital. Amazon can now access the credit markets for a lower cost of capital than China. So they can go into streaming video and become overnight the second largest spender in original content. Facebook and Apple are spending a billion dollars. ABC, NBC spending $4 billion. Amazon will spend $4.5 billion on original content this year, second only to Netflix, who increased their budget $2 billion when they heard Amazon's footsteps. So to a certain extent, the innovators have progressed more around their economic model, their ability to avoid taxes, their dominance. And I don't know if legislation or our view of these companies has kept pace with it. I believe Amazon is going to a trillion dollars in market cap is going to be the first company. I've never seen a company this dominant strategically. They're winning in voice. They're winning in streaming video. They're winning in hardware. Alexa Echo is much more interesting right now than the Apple Watch or the Apple Pods. Siri, you want to talk about giving it up. Siri owned the voice. And now Alexa is literally kicking Siri's butt in full view of everyone. Where they compete in digital marketing against Facebook and Google, Amazon Media Group is now growing faster than Google and soon will be probably growing faster than Facebook. What's Amazon digital marketing? Amazon Media Group, they sell ads into Unilever or PNG and say advertise on the Amazon platform the same way Google or Facebook says to a company, give us your digital marketing dollars. But surely they're growing faster from a very low base. That base is now a billion and a half dollars. So they're three times the size of Snap, and they'll probably be bigger than Twitter in about two or three years. No how, one, how long have they been doing that? I don't, you know, that's a good question. I think it's about five or seven years old, but no one talks about it. I did, didn't even know they did that. That's the thing about Amazon is it's blown the notion of core competence out of the water. It's doing so many things in product search, this area of search where people search for a pair of shoes. It had a 44% share in 2015. By 2016, it had a 55% share. So anywhere Amazon is bumping up against anybody else, it's winning. The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers, airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. 
That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. You could see Amazon, and this is what I think they're going to do, launch a zero-click offering where they just start sending you stuff before you want it and (laughs) picking up the stuff you don't want, and then you manicure it using Echo. Alexa, I'm going out of town for seven days. Or Alexa, I like Heineken, not Stella Artois. And I think they could run a test, show that they're capable of predicting 90% of what you want with almost 98% accuracy. Take those households from $1,300 a year, which is what the average prime household gives to Amazon, to six or 7000 The stock's going to be anti-gravity, and we're going to freak out and break them up. I think this company, by traditional antitrust standards, is probably not vulnerable But I think a lot of regulation is driven more politically or more around sentiment. And I think the world is going to start to get pretty alarmed about Amazon's dominance. I've never seen a company this dominant. Now, having said that, when guys like me say a company is becoming too powerful, that usually indicates it's about to go into structural decline. To that point around sentiment driving antitrust regulation, Jeff Bezos, obviously, I think he's the second richest man in the world now. Oh, Um, he'll be number one very soon. Yeah. He's obviously ex- extremely gifted in all kinds of ways, but I f- feel like when he bought Washington Post, that bought him s- some goodwill in a way because, I mean, yep. it is Amazon is kind of hollowing out the high street. There's mm-hmm. ghost malls everywhere. Mm-hmm. But as you say, nobody seems to be really moving against them or even really talking about it. I think regulation is going to happen or fines are going to happen against Amazon, but it's not going to be from where we think it's going to come from. I don't think it's going to come out of Washington. For all the tweets from the White House against Bezos and the Washington Post, it makes for great theater. But I don't think the current administration has the will or, quite frankly, the technology IQ to take on big tech. I was looking before we sat down. Correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong, but the last significant antitrust legislation was in 1914, which is the creation of the Federal Trade Commission. That's right. Back when we were talking about steel and oil and yep. physical goods, and it just feels like the legal apparatus is just not prepared for what these companies are and what they can do. So a Yale professor wrote a seminal piece on the notion we need to revisit antitrust just about three months ago that's kind of shaken up the legal community, where we might see the war against big tech break out, or my prediction around where the war against big tech is going to break out, and we're going to see regulation, is in your parent company's turf. It's going to break out in Europe. And the reason why is here in the U.S., As Americans, we register tremendous upside from big tech. There isn't a nation in the world that wouldn't take the job destruction, the tax avoidance, the privacy fears, the anti-competitive behavior, take all the bad if these companies would move their headquarters there. It's very difficult to argue it's not a net gain for America, a source of huge national pride. And it's amazing. I mean, there's kind of embarrassing competition among cities for this new headquarters It's a perfect example of how crazy things have gotten. The state of New Jersey, just as an example, 
is put together a package for $7 billion for the Amazon second headquarters, saying Which if you come to crazy. New York- Which is crazy. This is one of the biggest companies in the world. They don't need a tax break or any break. They've thrown out, we're going to create 50,000 jobs. I know what it's like to scale a company. I'm fairly involved in, quote unquote, the venture community. It would be almost impossible for a company to scale up to 10,000 people in three to five years. So let's, but let's assume they're great at what they do. They go to 10,000. $7 billion in tax rates and subsidies across 10,000 jobs means they're paying $700,000 a job. So this is the mother of all intoxicated Olympic city bidding processes. It's ridiculous. And I believe that Amazon has already chosen the city and is going through this process for two reasons. One, they continue to occupy the front page. We're all talking about Amazon because the second headquarters, and it's stealing the mic from the rest of business and just keeping us all talking about Amazon. They're going to mature a crazy, irrational term sheet, and then they're going to go to the city they want to be in and ask them to match it. And the temptation to set up a perceived prosperity bomb in the town square is going to be too much for that mayor, and they're going to match it. I think the whole thing is a ruse. But going back to regulation, I think Europe is going to step in. Europe registers the same amount of downside as the U.S., but registers a fraction of the upside. Marguerite Vestager, who I would describe as the only regulator in the world whose testicles have descended and is just not in love with these guys <laughs> and has decided to go after them, you're going to see the war against big tech break out in Europe. The well, we're already seeing it, right, with the Google fine. 100%. But here's the thing, $2.7 billion, 3% of their cash on hand. It's like a $0.25 cent parking t- ticket for not paying a $100 meter. The smart thing to do is to lie and break the law. And that's what these companies do because – the downside is just not that dramatic for these guys because they have so much capital. You're going to see, I believe, the first $10 billion plus fine come out of Europe. And there's a non-zero probability that some European nation might just ban one or more of them. Let's look at what China did. China brought in Google just long enough to steal their IP and then propped up a local competitor and captured all the value. Probably illegal, violation of all sorts of trade agreements, not the Western way, not the capitalist way. But who's better off, Italy who let Google in or China? And I think you're going to see a European nation just go, you know what? We're done. Get out of here. We're banning you. And you're already starting to see hints of it with London saying they weren't going to renew Uber's license. I think people are regurgitating on the notion that just because you're an innovator doesn't mean you're Jesus. The Pope calls it the gross idolatry of money. I think of it as the gross idolatry of youth and innovation. I was talking to somebody earlier today about... Google. And he said of, of the big tech companies, he thinks they are the most vulnerable. Because if you think about their business, it's all about the little search box. And he was saying in the context of if we do all move to, you know, the next we went from PCs to laptops to mobiles to dot, 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 what's the next thing? Maybe it's voice. And if it's voice, what does Google do? The next battleground is probably going to be the home and the tool is going to be the vo- is voice. Google, in some ways, is vulnerable because it's a bit of a one-trick pony or call it a one-trick thoroughbred search, but it's an unbelievable franchise. The place I would say Google is strongest is they have the greatest concentration of IQ in the history of mankind. I think Google has more sheer IQ than the Manhattan Project or NASA. Well, that's the thing everybody talks about. They just pay whatever to collect the best brains. They they don't even know what to do with them. They just have them in the Googleplex. They soak up IQ like no one's business. And so technically, they're one click away from going out of business, you know, if there's a better search engine. But their discipline around hiring super smart people, giving them an environment they want to stay in, if the stock doesn't go up, which it has, ensuring they have current comp, 
I just don't think you want to bet against Google. They, but from a traditional antitrust standard, they have 90 plus percent share in a lot of their markets. And when we say the, the search, we're talking about a business now. So this is a company with a 90 plus share of a very, very large sector called search. If WPP controlled 90 plus percent of the entire advertising market of the UK, would there be a lot of scrutiny around, is this a good thing for us? From a traditional antitrust standpoint, Google's the most vulnerable, but I think they're a little bit more thoughtful, and I think their CEO is handling the crisis around the weaponization of Russia in a more adult way. They seem to be very cognizant of just how dangerous they could be. My sense of Mark Zuckerberg is he's more a millennial who isn't as concerned about privacy. If you look at some of the early efforts around Beacon and advertising, Facebook doesn't seem to be as creeped out by themselves as Google is. I would argue the most vulnerable right now is Facebook because this most recent crisis around the weaponization of social media platforms and Google and Twitter, Facebook is handling it the poorest. It's a slow-moving train wreck and or a fast-moving train wreck. The damage done to companies in crises isn't the crisis itself, it's the response or the lack thereof. Martha Stewart didn't go to jail for insider trading. She went to jail for denying it. And what we see with Facebook is a series of half measures and denial, and it's going to bite them hugely in the ass. They're about to have their tobacco moment where they sit in front of Congress and Senate, and they throw Cheryl in front of them to say, we're a media company, which is going to go down in history as a tobacco executive saying, I don't see a link between addiction and nicotine. They are a media company, aren't they? They define what a media company is. You spend a billion dollars on original content. You pay sports leagues to develop original content for you. 50% of Americans get their news from you. And you sell ads against it at 90 plus points of gross margin. Boom, you're a media company. So what happens when they make that admission? How How does the world change for them? Well, one, media companies usually get a lower multiple on profits than a tech company, but I don't think that's the case with them. I don't think all of a sudden analysts are going to rewrite. Yeah, take well, their because that's the down. thing. I mean, to your point, in their 13 years, this has been their by far their worst in terms of PR. And I think but the shares worse. have gone up 35%. I don't think it hits their equity. I think they are literally begging regulation. They're sticking their chin out and begging somebody to swoop in and do something very severe because the worst thing you can do in a crisis is underreact, you need to overreact. And Sheryl Sandberg just last weekend said, we're really not a media company. And this would be like McDonald's saying, okay, 80% of our beef was fake, people were getting encephalitis, making bad decisions, but we can't be held responsible because we're not a fast food restaurant, we're a fast food platform. (laughs) Facebook is a media company. And what happens to them is technically their multiple would go down, that's not gonna happen. What they're afraid of is having some sense or obligation around the role the fourth estate plays. The compact we have with media companies is, okay, you have tremendous influence, you have unbelievable gross margins, you're usually a very profitable company, a lot of celebrity, and Facebook has openly embraced all these things, but you also have some responsibility around the role you play in our society. You have a responsibility to, in some way, put some safeguards around the content. You have some responsibility to ensure the people running ads against this content aren't damaging. Facebook has basically said, you know, it's a platform. They start using terms like First Amendment rights, and we don't want to be an arbiter of truth. Well, you know what? You sure as hell can can try. When they say it's impossible to put safeguards, 
we're not talking about the realm of the possible. We're talking about the realm of the profitable. To put in place the supervision, the discretion, and the screening to ensure these things don't happen would just require something that's very expensive called human discretion and oversight. The Times has never been weaponized, to the best of my knowledge, by Russia. No. Well, if, they, and they just said they're raising what they're going to hire 3,000 human moderators. Well, it's gone from 250 to 1,000. I hadn't heard the 3,000 number. But that, again, is a series of half measures. Let me cut to what they will do because they have to. And the faster they get there, the smarter it is for them and their shareholders. Is Mark Zuckerberg saying, this is totally unacceptable. I will ensure regardless of the cost, it never happens again. I'm putting 10,000 people on this, and I'm going to devote $500 million to artificial intelligence development to help these 10,000 people identify screen and halt any dangerous activity. In other words, he has to draw the line, publicly draw a line in the sand and throw money behind he it. He has to clear every shelf of every grocery store of every Tylenol bottle, which is what Johnson & Johnson did, and then restore trust. The, really, the only thing you have to remember in a crisis is to overcorrect. So we've got Amazon, Google, Facebook, Apple. Apple. Now, Apple's different. They're the most valuable company in the world. Yep. When you kind of got into it, what conclusions did you come out with? First off, the most profitable company in the world has pulled off the impossible in business. Business, you're either one of two things. They're really successful companies. You're the low-cost producer, and you pass those savings on to the consumer. Walmart, China, Dell. Or you're the premium-priced product that makes people feel good about themselves and more attractive or closer to God, an LVMH, a Ferrari. What Apple has pulled off is the impossible and the only company that's ever been able to pull it off, and that is they're the low-cost producer. The iPhone 8 and the iPhone X will be the best-selling phones in the world, and they'll be able to secure the lowest price for the components in the supply chain. At the same time, they're the premium-priced product. So Apple is the, the auto equivalent of a Ferrari with the production volumes of a Toyota. And as a result, they're the most profitable company in the history of business. In this quarter, Apple will do double the profits that Amazon has done since its founding. Cash on hand, equivalent to a small, the GDP of a small European nation. Yeah, it's a nation. nation state. From an antitrust concern, I think they are the least vulnerable of the four because I think Tim Cook is the most likable CEO is in the Is it really world. that simple? Like, he's a nice guy. I think a lot of it comes down to how likable you are. The public support of an elected official to go after them or the lack of support to go after them, I play, think, plays a huge role. Nothing legally has changed about these companies in the last nine months. What's changed is the public perception of them. And Apple doesn't have a lot of share. It's just very profitable. And they're smart. They're getting trouble for tax avoidance. They pull out their check, and they pay it fast. Just basically paying people off. Be like, whoops, sorry. Let's keep it moving. Yep. Okay. Understood. Here's the check. And because that's at this point, they do. have $250 billion. I mean, you make phones. You can't spend all that on R&D. You might as well just get regulators off your back. Just pay them. Yeah. Pay them and move on. Boom. Done. Over. We have a special relationship with Apple. I think that to a certain extent, it's taken on a religious-like quality. Apple is our new religion. Steve Jobs is our Jesus Christ. And the iPhone is our new cross. An example of how just out of control things have gotten, in my view, this viewpoint is the one that I get the most grief from people whenever I talk about it, is a terrorist uses an iPhone, kills 13 people, and the FBI gets his iPhone and goes to the court and says, court, you know, will you issue, us, will you issue a search warrant for the phone because we're worried other acts of terror might be unfolding in other cities, and we would really like to get into this phone, which seems pretty reasonable. You're talking me. about the San Bernardino, San Bernardino shooter, yeah. And Apple disputes the court order and says, 
there has to be a place where you can have privacy around your data. America's public largely supports it. What if the terrorists had used a BlackBerry and RIM out of Waterloo, Canada, had waved their middle finger in the face of, a, of an FBI-requested court order to get into the BlackBerry? I believe we would have had legislation on the floor of Congress for a trade embargo against Canada within 48 hours. You can be strapped to a chair and have bodily fluid taken from you if you're, you're suspected of a DUI. If your spouse doesn't show up tonight and she's not around for two days, there'll be a court order to get into your computer and search your home. But don't get into the iPhone. iPhone's sacred. As societies become more affluent and more educated, the reliance on super being and church attendance goes down. But our need for authorities, a need for divinity is still there. And I think it's being filled by a Google is a modern man's God in terms of prayer and questions. You trust Google more than God in terms of the questions you have around the unanswerable. And I think our religion is Apple and Steve Jobs is our innovators, Jesus Christ. This has taken a very uh, unexpected yeah, philosophical quick. turn. <laughs> <laughs> but you believe that. The kids in my company push back on this so hard when I talk about the privacy thing. It's like, it literally is as if I insulted their religious values. So Steve Jobs in San Francisco, he's the godlike figure of business. To be blunt, I think he was a fantastic business person. I don't think he was an especially good person. And I think he embodies this notion that we worship now at the altar of innovators and not kindness and character. Yeah, well, it's like the the whole... Uber situation where it was a grow at all costs. Oh, this, as uh, Ariana Huffington called them, you know, brilliant jerks. As long as they create something cool, it's okay. You know, the kind of frat rock behavior there probably cost that company $20 billion in market value. They probably lost $20 billion during that six or nine months of nonsense when no one was focused on anything else. To their credit, I think the board and investors have stepped in and made some really good moves. Great new CEO, two good new board members. And it's an incredible product, but it's a $7 billion company, I think, losing $2 billion, and it has the market value, supposedly, of Airbus. These companies, you know, Tesla produced 80,000 cars last year. Ford produced $6 million. Tesla's worth more than Ford. And GM, which produced $10 million. General Motors, I think, has about a quarter of a million employees. I don't know, 50 or $70 billion market capitalization? I might be wrong on that one. But let's look at Facebook. I think Facebook has 22,000 employees now and has a $450 billion market cap. So the economic titans of yesterday or yesteryear used to employ a lot more people. And because these companies are on the front page of the newspaper every day, we get the sense they employ more people than they actually do. The total employment across the four, mostly because Amazon's been hiring like crazy and has a lot of people in their back-end fulfillment, but the total employment is about 650,000 people. That's the equivalent of the Lower East Side of Manhattan. Now match it against the GDP of India, which is the combined market capitalization of these companies. So their market cap is equal to the GDP of India. In 2008, the combined market cap of these companies was approximately the GDP of Poland or Niger. Since then, it has blown by the GDP of Russia, Canada, and now is approximately equivalent to the GDP of India at about 2.5, 2.6 trillion. India has over a billion people. And these companies employ 650,000. So to give you a sense of just the unbelievable wealth creation across a small number of people, so there are 2 million driver partners for Uber. Driver partner is Latin for you don't get health benefits and you don't get equity in the company. So there are three times (laughs) as many driver partners at Uber than there are employees at Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Google 
who, along with their investors, are splitting $2.5, $2.6 trillion in market capitalization. So we know they're successful, but are we really comfortable with this kind of concentration of winner-take-all-like dynamics and wealth? Well, I guess, so that's the question, right? So you talked earlier about your younger employees, I presume millennials, Gen Z, et cetera. You live your life online, you share everything. I'm a bit older, (laughs) 40, and to me that looks like oversharing. For them, it's just life. But there does seem to be um, a deal that everybody is entering that most people aren't aware of in terms of what they are giving up. In effect, you know, you and I and everybody else that consumes this stuff, we are the product of that Google is selling and that Facebook is selling. Does there have to be a, an event for that light bulb to go on and be like, well, hmm, maybe we should kind of not share so much or demand more privacy restrictions. I mean, where, do, where is this all going? Because, you know, these four companies, where does it go from here? The bottom line is I don't know. The, uh, let's make a, uh, an assumption. Every company everywhere eventually gets hacked. Yahoo gets hacked. The people who own our credit history, pretty sensitive information, get hacked. And every time they announce the hack, we know one thing. It's worse than they initially announced. If Google were to get hacked, if you want to talk about true social chaos, imagine a hack where you can go somewhere, type in your name, and it shows your picture, and you say, yeah, that's, that's him. And your name and your face are above everything you've put into your Google query box. Contemplate that, and, and that it's public for your wife, your employer, and your business partners. If you're thinking about divorce, if you're worried about the disease you have or the disease you, you might have exposed yourself to, anything about your sexuality, your fetishes, you could run AI on it, and it could start telling people, these are the people who are most likely to get divorced in the next 3, 6, or 12 months. These are the people having affairs. These are the people they're having affairs with. These are the cities they're meeting them in. These are the people looking for jobs. Google knows more about you than even yourself that would literally create social chaos. The courts wouldn't be able to handle it. So an event, I think the event that has happened that will probably result in regulation is the weaponization of these platforms and the undercorrection of Facebook right now. I think that's so Russia, the Trump, thoughts, that whole kind of... Yeah, so to be fair, we don't know, we don't know to the extent that Trump was involved. Yeah. But Russia... Or leading to Trump's election, I should say. Or yeah. the, all of, you know, and, the election. And, and intelligence wing of the Russian government was buying ads and trying to sow chaos in America using these platforms. That's pretty serious. And the only appropriate response to that is I'm going to do everything I can to make sure it doesn't happen again. And in my view, the government and regulators should be, unless you convince me it's never going to happen again, I'm putting you out of business because that risk is too great. And instead, old media has been co-opted and said, well, wouldn't that be impossible for Facebook? only because they're so damn profitable. Again, going back to the hamburger analogy, two McDonald's on the same street. One serves a 1,000 burgers a day and is able to eyeball the meat quality to make sure it's cooked. One serves a million hamburgers a day and says, sorry, we don't have the ability to look <laughs> yeah, to eyeball the hamburgers. It's all made by robots, and they're just really efficient. Yeah, yeah. And so when, when Facebook talks about the impossible, that's Latin for it would dent our profitability. 
the, the appropriate response from them is this will never happen again. And I think the appropriate response from our elected officials would be, well, it better not. The other um, aspect of these big companies, Amazon and Facebook, certainly. Facebook just spent something like $100 million on an app, two-month-old app, TBH, which is popular with the kids, and they're trying to figure out how to access kids. Anytime something crops up that gains traction, it is either squashed or bought. So they have a tool that basically serves as a crawler and almost similar to espionage for them. And that is anytime an app anywhere gets spikes in usage, they get an alert. And it says, these are the features that people love in this app. And then they can begin examining it. And they can either adopt those features into their own platform. Or if they decide these guys have so much momentum, they can just go buy them. So the, the analogy I would use is, remember when Darth Vader goes gangster and kills all the Padawans, kills all the young Jedi because they might at some point be a threat to him? That's what these companies do. That's not new. But we've never seen anyone that's good at it. And at some point, does it suppress innovation in a competitive, robust ecosystem if you have the company that has six of the top 10 apps? Should they be effectively controlling the entire app ecosystem? Should they have six of the top 10? WhatsApp gets beyond their grasp, so they buy it. Instagram gets beyond their grasp, so they buy it. I can can see a situation where people make the argument that this company needs to be broken up. We'll see. But as these guys get stronger, they get more dangerous and they get better at what they do. Usually when guys like me say that, it's about the time they go into decline. Yeah. But I don't see that happening with well, these that's guys. What I, yeah, that's what I'm trying to get at is just kind of here we are 2017. These companies are, you know, in Apple's case, the most profitable company in the history of humanity. And you kind of wonder where it's all going, especially if you look at, at least in the U.S., where they're based – the Federal Trade Commission, I think, has two commissioners out of the five that it usually has. There seems to be very little movement or urgency to be like, hmm, maybe we should rethink how we look at these companies and the effects they're actually having in the real world on other companies, on innovation, on jobs, on tax, etc. In the 1980s, there were on average about 20 antitrust case reviews a year. It's dropped to three. You can see why. Why would we want a hamstring? the companies that are going out and bringing home money and innovation and pride to the U.S. These are global companies. You could see it happen at a state level. You could see a populist movement at a state level where a state goes, you know what, I've had it with these guys. And I see that the fastest blue line path to the governor's mansion is for me to go after one or more of these guys. And again, it's based on public sentiment. It's always good politics to go after big oil. And it looks like it might start to become good politics to go after big tech, so maybe that's yeah. the answer. Yeah, I think the analogy is, is are they turning into tobacco? There's a lot of analysis. Social media, our kids are depressed. There's a great new study that came out from Pew that said there's some good things about social media, less teen pregnancy, less drunk driving. The bad is the reason why there's less teen pregnancy and less drunk driving is that kids are basically in their room on Instagram, and they're depressed because they're seeing what their friends are doing without them. FOMO, right? Epidemic level of fear of missing out. Yeah, it's gotten, it's gotten crazy. Or, you know, you have a one-year-old. You're going to see this crack cocaine-like addiction take over your kids with respect to their iPads. Something strange happens in the brain there. You know, TV's bad. The iPad and the, the phone, they get their lips around the crack cocaine of that iPad. Wow, it's weird when you take it away. I mean, you really see what it's like, what it's like to have an addict in your house. But anyways, and they all have their own issues. The place that's going to go gangster on these guys is Europe. That's where the war is going to break out against big tech. 
they get the kind of the negative and none of the ancillary positives. Yeah. The real estate isn't skyrocketing in Cologne because of newly minted Google millionaires. The Ferrari dealership in Milan isn't doing great because of a bunch of Google guys. The TV, the newspaper, and the advertising businesses in Italy are suffering, but they just don't get the upside. Europe, rightfully, their backbone is stiffened. They're absolutely going to go after these guys. And that is all the time we have. Told you. Are you not totally freaked out? (laughs) I know I am, just a little bit. Thank you to Professor Galloway for taking the time. Fascinating conversation. And thank you all for listening. As usual, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make my request. Do go to Apple Podcasts, take 30 seconds, give a rating and review. It really does help with the rankings, helps other people find the show. So please take a moment to do that if you feel so inclined. And in the meantime, of course, you can find me where I always am, which is in the Sunday Times newspaper online at thetimes.co.uk and on Twitter at Danny Fortson. So I leave you to cogitate on the future of humanity and technology and where it's all going. Sleep well. Bye-bye. 